everyone, and welcome to episode 8 of the Luna's Galaxy podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna, and I'll be the host of this show. The Luna's Galaxy podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday every two weeks. And for this episode, we have four segments, gaming news, what I've been playing, questions, and this episode's topic of the show, which I'm very excited about, which is a Corpse Party series review. So... Uh, just to give you an idea of what is going to happen, I'm going to be talking about the three main games in the Corpse Party series. So Corpse Party Blood Covered Repeated Fear, which is the first one, uh, Corpse Party Book of Shadows, and then Corpse Party Blood Drive. <laughs> so those are the ones I'll be talking about. So look forward to that. And there will be um, spoiler-free sections for each game, and then I'll go more into spoilers. So kind of like how I did um, the 999 episode, if you listen to that. But anyway... <laughs> Um, before we get started, I would like to remind you all that if you would like to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I will read out your review on the show. But let's talk about some gaming news. We have a lot to cover. A lot has happened. A lot of very good news, which is very exciting. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about is that I, the Somnium Files, is now on Game Pass. So obviously, <laughs> a lot of you guys know this already. I, the Somnium Files is one of my favorite games, and now if you have Game Pass, you can play it for free. I mean, I say for free kind of loosely because you are paying for the subscription, but you can play I, the Somnium Files. It is on both uh, the PC Game Pass and on Xbox, um, so very, very exciting. I I really recommend that you check this out. I know a few people have already and they've let me know. So, very good game. Please check it out if you have not already because it's free now. And also, um, I believe Scarlet Nexus was also added to Game Pass, but I, d I don't know much about that game. So, but I do advise you all to play Eye of the Somnium Files because the sequel is coming out in 2022. So, get ready. Um, so, our next news story is that the Game Awards have been announced for December 9th, which I'm very excited about. I love watching the Game Awards every year, and it falls on a Thursday, which is very exciting for me because I work on Friday. <laughs> and they have been, I think, every year since they've started, it's been on a Thursday. But I was nervous this year because I was like, what if for some reason Jeff Keighley changes it to Friday and then I can't watch it? But it's going to be a Thursday, so I'm, I'm very excited. It's December 9th is when the Game Awards are going to happen. Who knows what we'll see. I'm very excited. <laughs> and for our next story, um, so this, there, this was a tweet by Andy Robinson. There was an article attached to it, but I just took the tweet. <laughs> um, and what he says here is that Konami is set to ramp up its premium game development with new installments and remakes for its biggest franchises. And so... Obviously, um, the ones that people are thinking of are Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, um, stuff like that, but you know why I want to talk about this? <laughs> I want to talk about this because I want Dance Dance Revolution to come back. Will it ever happen? I doubt it. But, you know, Konami, they're looking at the franchises that they own, and they're like, what can we do with these? What can we do with these franchises that people love? And, you know, sort of get back in, maybe not the spotlight, but in some sort of light in the gaming industry that isn't just, you know, arcade stuff. And so, uh, Konami? <laughs> Konami, I'm literally begging you for a new DDR game. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just want to throw that in there. But it is, I mean, obviously more exciting for the franchises that are probably going to get new games. <laughs> like Castlevania, like Metal Gear Solid, possibly Silent Hill. But, um, yeah. I, I know what I want. <laughs> um, 
next thing I want to talk about is that Final Fantasy Strangers of Paradise had a new demo. I don't know if like how long it's going to be up, but there was a new demo for it and there's been a lot of memes <laughs> that have come out of it. Um, so from what I've gathered, this demo is better than the first one that they released, but uh, all I've seen online about it is that one video and if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But where the main character, I can't remember his name, the one that always says chaos, and he just, he looks like your average Joe, I guess. Um, there's just this clip where, like, all the characters are having this very serious conversation, and there's, like, a pause. Oh my, I wish I could remember his name. And the guy is, like, bullshit. And then he just, like, turns around and starts playing Limp Biscuit, and it's like, what is happening? <laughs> like, it is the most... 2000s thing that I feel like I've seen in a video game since that era. Like, it really, it has the energy of, like, when you're on YouTube in, like, 2007 and you're looking up, like, Linkin Park Numb AMVs. Like, that's the energy that it was giving. <laughs> and so, uh, that clip sold me on the game. I'm not going to lie. Um, I was going to get it anyway, but, well, is it, is it cross-gen? I can't remember. But, um, I'll definitely be playing the game at some point, but when I seen that clip, I was like, you got me now. I'm, I'm 100% sold on this now, because <laughs> it, it's so, it's so memeable, and I feel like that is the best marketing that this game has had so far, is just being a meme, and people love it. At least, I, I mean, I love it, <laughs> so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, there's a new Strangers of Paradise demo. I don't know how long it's going to be up for, but it's really fucking funny, <laughs> and I'm excited for it. So, Big news time. Here comes the more bigger news stories of the week. Um, actually, now I think about it, I think a lot of the uh, earlier news stories were like two weeks ago, and these ones are the ones that are more recent, because um, that's how I do these things. I just look through my Twitter timeline, and I'm like, what happened since the last podcast episode? But anyway, um, so very, very exciting. Sora is the new character in Smash Bros. You all know this. If like, if, unless you are literally, you haven't been online and you go online for the first time in, like, a week and the first thing you do is listen to Luna's Galaxy podcast, <laughs> you already know what Sora is in Smash. Um, but this is so exciting. I don't play Smash Bros. myself, although I do think I want to pick it up sometime when it is on sale in the future because, I mean, Sora. I mean, I kind of want to do this when Sephiroth got announced as well, but now that Sora's in it, I'm like, I really... I have to do this just to check it out. <laughs> so next time it's on sale for like, you know, $60 Canadian, um, I think I will probably pick it up or, you know, ask for it for Christmas or something because I'm cheap. But anyway, <laughs> this is very exciting. And the trailer was so good. Um, I didn't do a live reaction to it, but I did watch it as it was happening. And it, you know, they first started off with uh, the Mii Fighter costumes, which there was, I think, two Splatoon and then there was uh, the Doom guy. <laughs> um, and then they started the trailer. And at first I was like, what the hell is happening? Because, you know, the characters are, like, kind of, like, turning back into, like, am amiibo figures, I guess. Or, like, you know, toy versions of themselves. And, you know, the life is kind of gone. And it, then there's, like, this, this flame. And I'm like, what the hell is happening here? And then I think the moment that I knew was when I think Mario like throws the flame or something. And as he was throwing it, I was like, this is going to go into a keyblade. And then it did. And they show the Mickey Mouse keychain on the keyblade. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I start crying. Of course, I start crying. I don't even play Smash Bros. But like, 
you, I forgot, okay, here's the thing, I forgot how emotional the Kingdom Hearts makes me, like, like I said, I don't even play Smash Bros, but just seeing <laughs> the Mickey Mouse keychain, <laughs> I was just, like, sobbing, but it, it was so, it was such a good trailer, and then uh, the Keyblade is, you know, it's, like, flying through the air, and then, um, there's a keyhole and it starts like lighting up and then like Sora is like floating out of the keyhole and the song starts playing and I'm just like I'm sobbing anytime they play that song um it makes me very emotional I believe it is uh the orchestral version of Simple and Clean um but like oh my god I was so emotional <laughs> it, it was such a good trailer and uh, Sora is finally here is what they said and it's just, it's so cool. And they even told us that um, years ago when it was the Wii, it was, I think it was the Wii U version of, and like the 3DS version of Smash. I can't remember what one it was called. Um, but the previous iteration of Smash um, for the DLC characters, they had like a poll going on, uh, vote for what character you want to be in Smash. And they told us Sora was the number one most requested fighter, which is very validating for Kingdom Hearts fans, I feel like. Um, and, you know, I feel like Kingdom Hearts as a series, you know, in the wider sort of gaming industry, doesn't have the best reputation. I feel like a lot of people just kind of dumb it down as, like, this kid's game that's, like, overcomplicated, convoluted, dumb, you know, just, I feel like there's a lot of negative connotations with Kingdom Hearts, just not being taken seriously at all for the impact and the influence that it has had within the wider gaming industry. And so seeing that, you know, he was the last fighter and that he was the most requested fighter is very validating. And it, it almost feels like a reward for Kingdom Hearts fans to say like, hey, your game is important. And um, it, it's just so cool. And... Um, I, I've seen a lot of people talk about this on Twitter, and so a lot of my thoughts are kind of, like, reiterating stuff you've probably already seen, but he really is, I think, the perfect final character for this game, you know? Sora is, like, the king of crossovers. <laughs> he is Square Nix and Disney, which I remember seeing a tweet. I'm on Twitter a lot, can you tell? Um, I remember seeing a tweet about all of the, like, copyright stuff that is in Smash Bros. <laughs> and seeing, like, Walt Disney being added to that. I'm like, holy shit, that is so cool. Um, but it also does confirm, yet again, that Sora is owned by Disney and not Square. Um, but so, it's so cool. I'm, they ha Sora has a bunch of different outfits. He has Kingdom Hearts 2, Kingdom Hearts 1, uh, Dream Drop Distance, Kingdom Hearts 3, and Timeless River. And it's, I think he also has like Valor form and Wisdom form. There's a lot going on. <laughs> and, you know, I'm obviously a very big Kingdom Hearts fan. And so I just feel like, you know, it's a very important moment. And then after that, we actually got a trailer for the Kingdom Hearts 20th anniversary that is upcoming in the next few months next year. Um, and they kind of just said more stuff will be announced. Um, they did tease that there is going to be like a finale for Dark Road at some point. It did get delayed. I don't, but we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but we are going to see more from Dark Road. They announced this, <laughs> this really overpriced chessboard. <laughs> um... But the other, actually, big announcement that we got that day about, you know, after Sora being in Smash is that the Kingdom Hearts games are coming to Switch, and a lot of you know I have been asking for this. I've been begging for this <laughs> for so long, and, but here's the thing. Here's the kicker, because I, I can't get what I want. Um, 
they're all cloud versions. And to me, this completely defeats the purpose of them being on Switch because for myself personally, I wanted the games on Switch so that I can play them wherever I want. I have that portability factor. Um, you know, I not that I really get on planes anymore, but if I did, I could just, you know, play Kingdom Hearts or, you know, I go camping a lot in the summer. What if I want to take my Switch and not haul a PS4 out so that I, I can just play Kingdom Hearts when I want to? Uh, and that, I, there's no point to it now because they're only cloud versions. And I do think, you know, obviously Kingdom Hearts 3, if that was going to come to Switch, had to be a cloud version. I don't think there's any world where Kingdom Hearts 3 runs properly on a Switch. They would have to do, like, how they did Final Fantasy 15, like, Pocket Edition or something. They'd have to do something like that for Kingdom Hearts 3. But I do not understand why the other games are not like, you know, uh, what's it, like, running natively on a Switch. I don't understand why they're cloud versions. Um, I do think, you know, maybe Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and 2.5, I can understand that maybe being a lot, because even though those are PS2 and PSP games, there is a lot of content in, you know, that collection. But even then, I'm like, well, what if you just did 1.5 like it was on the PS3 and 2.5 like it was on the PS3? But then I guess you run into the issue of PS3 is the disaster to develop on and, you know, it's hard to sort of get those games on other platforms because the PS3 is a disaster. But I just... I'm like, there there must have been a better solution. And, you know, I do think obviously there's a reason why they did this, but it also feels like a lot of lost sales because I know, you know, a lot of hardcore gamers and a lot of people that are, you know, really into this and maybe even just, you know, people that are less hardcore but that are older... Um, we, we play a lot and buy a lot of digital games because, it you know, we know how to. But I feel like for a more casual audience, uh, physical releases are still very, very common. And especially, I would assume, with kids' games where maybe, you know, the parent might not even know that, like, the eShop exists. You know, they're just going out to Walmart or Best Buy someday and they're looking at the games on the shelf and saying, Hey, like, what one do you want? You, you know what I mean? I feel like a kids' game like Kingdom Hearts... And, you know, even if it wasn't a kid's game, it's so popular that I feel like a physical release would sell very, very well on Switch. And so it feels like they're just throwing their money away. And I know a lot of people have very similar thoughts as myself on this. You know, I do think at the end of the day, cloud is better than nothing. But I, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what they're doing. Um, I, I just, I really want to play Kingdom Hearts 2, you know, kind of Kingdom Hearts 1 and, you know, the older games on my Switch because I've never been able to play them portably. And, you know, technically I could get the cloud version, you know, play it, like, I don't know, in a different room, but, like, I can't take it out camping, which is, you know, ideal for me. And so, it, uh, <laughs> I, I have really mixed feelings about this, as you can probably tell. Um, and I know a lot of people have been, I don't want to say demanding, but asking for, like, hey, why isn't 1.5 and 2.5 not, like, why can't we have that as a not cloud edition, a normal, a normal edition, I guess? I don't know. And, you know, I don't think anything is going to come from that. I do think, you know, if they were going to do it, they would have done it. Um, but I don't know, maybe with enough fan demand, it'll happen. I really hope it does, but I am not getting my hopes up because I just, I, hmm. 
you've seen how Square Enix has been with the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters, where everyone is like, we want this on Switch. And they're like, well, if there's enough fan demand, we'll do it. And it's like, there's been enough fan demand since you announced it. So I'm not getting my hopes up, but um, they are on Switch. If that's like the only platform you have and you want to play Kingdom Hearts cloud version if you have like the correct wi-fi you know you can you can do it with like the connection that you have um i guess it's okay i guess it's good but it, it's not for me i'm not going to be <laughs> buying them unfortunately um so yeah kind, kind of bittersweet about that but our next story so twitch got hacked <laughs> that's always fun um because clearly twitch hasn't been having enough problems lately now they got hacked so, I believe this was just, like, one person that was like, hey, I'm going to mess up everyone's lives. <laughs> and, um, basically they leaked creator payouts. So, I, I can't remember. I think it's, like, from 2019 forward or something like that. Um, and I don't know if it's everyone's payouts or just, like, the certain top percentage. And, uh, yeah, you can see how much money people make. I'm not really going to talk about it because I don't feel like it's my place. But um, I do think it goes to show that, you know, a lot of Twitch streamers are not making as much as you would think they are because, you know, Twitch streamers only make 50% of their revenue. And obviously there are some streamers that you can, that they negotiated with Twitch once they got to a certain level to make more money. But even then, Twitch takes a big cut of a uh, streamer's money. And so that's been fun <laughs> to think about. Um... You know, a lot of content creators have sort of come out and said, like, Twitch is not my main source of income, even though that is what they do. Um, they're making a lot more money from things like sponsorship, sponsorships, YouTube, stuff like that. Twitch is not a good platform to make money on, essentially. And that has been, we've been talking about that a bit more. Um, but if uh, you haven't heard about this already um, and you are on Twitch, whether just as a streamer or as someone that just, you know, chats, um, change your passwords, have two-factor two authentication enabled. Um, if you are a streamer, um, just make sure that everything is still up and running with your OBS and, like, Streamlabs and bots and stuff because um, Twitch did go and uh, change everyone's stream keys. So <laughs> you might have to do some tinkering around, but hopefully everything is fine. So I'm very excited about our next story. And this is our last story also. But Corpse Party, Corpse Party Blood, I don't even know if they're calling it Corpse Party Blood Covered Repeated Fear. That's a bit of a mouthful. I think they're just calling it Corpse Party, but it is the more, it's the definitive version of Corpse Party. Um, also, can we talk about how Corpse Party is like kind of hard to say? I think just the word corpse, but like Corpse Party, like you try and say it really fast. I don't know how this episode is going to go because I know I'm going to say it a lot. <laughs> but anyway, Corpse Party is coming to Switch, PS4, Steam, and Xbox Series X, which I'm very excited about. Um, last episode, actually, when we were talking about um, horror game recommendations for the spooky month, um, I said Corpse Party, and I kind of made a point there where I was like, it's not very accessible <laughs> because there was a remaster that came out last year in Japan for these um, consoles. But they haven't been localized yet. And now, here we go, they're getting localized. And this is coming out on October 20th, so just in time for Halloween. I'm so, so excited. I'm going to be getting this on PS4 and on Switch. Um, I'll probably get it on PS4 first, because I do think I want to get a Platinum for it. <laughs> um, but I'm also going to be getting it on Switch, because, like I said, I like portability. 
Um, so I'm I'm so excited about this. This is one of my favorite games. My favorite horror game. Um, it's what this whole episode is dedicated to. So it feels like perfect timing. Maybe they did it for me. I don't know. <laughs> but um, if you have already played Corpse Party, um, if you have played the Steam version, this is a big, big upgrade um, than the version that's on Steam. But if you have played the PSP or the 3DS version, it's a bit less of an upgrade, but still an upgrade nonetheless. Um, there are two extra chapters that have been added to this version of the game that were not in the 3DS version that I played. To be fair, I didn't do a lot of the extra chapters in the 3DS version, but I am going to do it for this version. Um, so there have been two extra chapters added. If you have already done, like, all of the Course Party content, there is still new stuff there other than just, you know, having it on a new platform and, uh, you know, just graphical looking better, I guess. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I'm very excited. <laughs> I've been asking for this. So, literally this week, I got two things that I've been asking for for a while now. And, I mean, the course party thing is actually, like, perfect for me. But I am still a bit bitter about Kingdom Hearts games being cloud versions. But I got Corpse Party, so I'm very happy. I am going to be streaming Corpse uh, corpse party i am on a bit of a break for twitch right now but i do definitely want to stream corpse party when it comes out and again on halloween uh well the day before halloween but you know similar thing and i'm going to be with my halloween costume it's gonna be a lot of fun we're gonna play corpse party i'm, I'm a big nerd <laughs> very passionate about this game so really really looking forward to it i really recommend checking it out when it comes out um i believe it is launching for $20, I believe that's probably US dollars, so I think it's going to be 30 Canadian, which I think is why I'm getting confused in my mind. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out. I love this game. <laughs> so moving on, let's talk about what I've been playing. So um, uh, I have been playing a lot of RPG Maker horror games, but that is saved for next episode. So look forward to that. I'm not talking about that this episode. But I've also, I finished Yakuza 3. I finished Yakuza 3, and I love, I love that game so much. <laughs> um, I, I, I know a lot of people, Yakuza 3 is, like, their least favorite, or, you know, one of their least favorites in the series, but it just resonated so much with me. Um, the gameplay is fun. Is it the most polished of the Yakuza games? Probably not, <laughs> but it's, it's still that Yakuza gameplay that I really enjoy, um, the graphics are good. There are some moments where I think it's, like, pre-rendered stuff that, you know, it does look like a PS3 game, but for the most part, <laughs> it is really surprisingly good. Um, but what I really love about Yakuza 3 is the story and the characters and the settings, and they just resonated with me a lot, and I feel like that's the best way to put it, because do I think it is the best story in Yakuza? I don't really know, <laughs> but it's my- I think it's one of my favorites. Um, it's really between this game and Zero so far for me. I haven't played Zero in a long time, though, so it's kind of hard to, like, think back on it and compare the two. But, um, I really love Yakuza 3. I love the orphanage. I like, I think I talked about this uh, last episode, but, you know, just seeing Kiryu sort of be this father figure to all these children. And it, it, it's just so good. It's so good. And one of my new favorite characters in the series, Rikia, um... I love him so much. He was such a pleasant addition to this cast. Um, I love his relationship with Kiryu, and 
uh, it's just so good. <laughs> um, there's also a lot of other really good characters that I liked that are new additions to this cast. Um, I believe her name is Saki and uh, Nakahara. And I can't remember the other guy's name, but he has blonde hair and he's a bit chubby and I really loved him too. <laughs> and Mame, which is like the dog. <laughs> but uh, Rikia is definitely my favorite character in this game, I think. I mean, other than Kiryu. Um, but I really love Rikia and it, it, the story made me really emotional. I was kind of a mess by the end. But I, I really, <laughs> I really recommend Yakuza 3 if you have been sleeping on it like I have because um, I kind of took a break from Yakuza. I'd played Yakuza 0, 1, and 2 kind of close together and then I don't think I played any of the games for about a year, um, but I did get the remastered collection. And so playing that has been a lot of fun. Um, I really, I really enjoyed it and I do want to sort of go through Yakuza 4 and 5 as well sometime soon. So, yeah, very exciting. <laughs> I really recommend Yakuza 3 if I haven't played it yet. Um, it is a very good game. At least I think it is. Some people might disagree with me, <laughs> but I really love this game. And also, um, I restarted my Animal Crossing Island. <laughs> kind of controversial, I feel like. Um, but, you know, I, you know, whenever I would want to, like, be in the mood for playing Animal Crossing... I would go on my island and I would just feel so overwhelmed because all my villagers would be like, I haven't seen you in like seven months. Or, you know, it just felt like I couldn't really do anything with my island because there had already been so much done to it. It kind of felt like I was in too deep <laughs> to customize it and like get creative with it. And it just, it, it wasn't a fun experience for me anymore. And so I was like, you know what? I do want to play more Animal Crossing. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say fuck it and rebuild my island and... I don't regret it at all. I was really worried. I was very stressed and nervous about it, but um, I'm really enjoying it. And I've been watching some videos on New Horizons, and I feel like a lot of people um, sort of agree with my opinion on the game as well, is that it, the social aspect of it with the villagers is just not as strong as it is in previous games. And I, I don't know if they can really fix that with this new update that they have coming out. Um, that we don't really know much about yet. But, you know, I, I'll be there for when the update happens. I will be playing the game. Um, so, you know, I feel like I'm probably going to have a better experience this time around, but who knows? I could also get bored of it a lot quicker because I've already played this game for, you know, hundreds of hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, I restarted my Animal Crossing island. So if anyone wants to play Animal Crossing with me, <laughs> once I get my island together, maybe we can do something. But anyway, that's what I've been playing. Um, so let's get on to the question segment. So, my question for this week to you guys was, if you could dress up as any video game character for Halloween, who would it be? And y'all had some good answers. <laughs> I really, I, like, I picked, like, everyone's answer to read off because I really enjoyed this. So, um, V, also known as Oblivion, said, Witch Yukiko, which I think is really cute. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, witch is kind of like a basic Halloween costume, but like when you add the Yukiko to it, it becomes a lot more fun. Um, so yeah, I think that's like super cute. Um, and then Beep in the Discord said, I feel like it would be fun to dress up as Haru from Persona 5. And I agree with that. Um, her sweater is like so cute and I feel like it would be so comfortable and like her hair is like you know, kind of like puffy and like pink and it's, it'd just be so cute. <laughs> and then Tolizu 
said, if price and time weren't an issue, I'd love to freak people out with a power suit Samus, which is also super cool. And that was kind of what I was hoping for when I asked this question was, you know, what video game character do you reasonably think you could cosplay? Because that's more boring. <laughs> but like, if you could go all out, you know, if money was not a concern, if you could just do whatever you wanted, um, what would you be? And so I really like that answer. <laughs> And then Mari said, maybe Monokuma, because those Monokuma onesies are looking comfy. <laughs> also a good one. I really like it. And then Gilbert said, Teddy from Persona 4, because it's an awesome character, funny and great. Or Emil from Near Replicant. 1.22474413. I don't even know if those are the numbers, but that's what, that's what Gilbert put. <laughs> um, both very great answers. I feel like we're getting a lot of uh, mascot characters here, like Monokuma and Teddy and, and Emil. <laughs> and Power Suit Samus. Um, and then Trenton said, blonde, blue eyes, huge RPG fan. I'm going with Roxas. I feel like I would look great as Roxas, which is awesome. And then, um, I don't have this written down, but I believe Trenton edited his, his answer today to say Sora. So yeah, <laughs> both really good answers. I think it would be fun to cosplay Sora at some point, maybe even bald Sora. I've thought about it. I'm not going to lie. I have thought about it, but I don't think I would look good bald. So it is what it is. <laughs> Then Tattle said Scold from Kingdom Hearts Union Cross, which is also very cute. I feel like that would be very fun. Um, and then Adam said K Zero Escape. I want that armor. And I wouldn't have even thought of this, but it is such a good answer. Um, I feel like it'd be so much fun to like have that K armor. Um, and you know, it, it's just, it'd be so cool. I don't think I've ever seen. I mean, I think I have seen K cosplays, but not like proper armor. You know what I mean? It's usually uh, other materials. Um, and then James on Twitter said, I would 100% do, uh, I don't know how to say this, five, Father Gascoigne? Gascoigne? I don't know. <laughs> I'm butchering that. Um, from Bloodborne. Ah, sweet blood sings to me enough to make a man sick. I've not played Bloodborne before. <laughs> Can you tell? Um, but I did look this guy up because I wanted to know what he looked like and he's pretty cool. And then Stevie said, I've always loved the design of Leon in Resident Evil 4, one of my favorite games of all time. Not overly complex, but not plain either. Plus, I own the jacket already, which is very cool. Um, I haven't finished Resident Evil 4, but I did start it, and I love Leon's design in that game. Um, he, he's very sexy. <laughs> um, and he has that cool jacket, too. And if you already have it, like, come on. It's so cool. <laughs> And then Gafona said, straight up Yuna or Phantom Armor wearing Zelda. And I think it'd be cool to be Yuna. Because there's, like, the two different versions of Yuna. You could be Ten, where she has, like, the longer dress and, like, the like the summoning stick. I saw stick. But, you know, her little thing. Or you could be Ten Two Yuna, where, you know, she has a bit of a shorter skirt and she got guns. Like, it'd be cool. And then uh, Samuel One World said, probably Max Caulfield from Life is Strange. I always saw myself a lot in her and I feel I could pull her look off very well. Um, very nice, very nice. I think it would be fun to be Chloe from Life is Strange, uh, for myself, personally. You know, get, like, a blue wig going on. I think it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Sora. <laughs> Sora on Twitter said Kingdom Hearts 3 Sora. <laughs> Which kind of cracked me up. Um, and then Jaden Mills said, I really want to do a Miles Edgeworth cosplay. I also think it'd be really cool to do a Bloodborne Hunter cosplay. Very cool. I think Miles My Edgeworth has, like, that, he has a cool outfit going on. I could see that. Um, but as for myself, I would probably say, um, Aerith, because I, I, you know, similar, like, uh, what Sam said, um, I, I see myself in Aerith. 
Um, but it, I feel like it'd be difficult to cosplay her. Um, mostly because of the wig. Because, you know, obviously the costume itself would be expensive, but it's the wig for me. Because, you know, I can't style my hair to be like Aerith, no matter how long I'm able to grow it out. Like, her hair just doesn't, it's not doable <laughs> with, like, real hair. Um, but, um, like, the wig I feel like would be, like, so heavy and like I can't style wigs so it's just, it's out of my realm of possibility but I think it'd be so cute um also Akane from Zero Escape um I actually tried <laughs> I tried to order an Akane cosplay um for Halloween but I was too late so I didn't end up doing it but uh I thought that would be really cool Akane uh, specifically her 999 design I think would be pretty cool but really there are so many characters I, I also have Toad written here that's not really one that I can't do but I think it'd be cool instead of doing, there are some Toad costumes uh, on like Amazon, but you know that, um, I think it's like the Toad sort of like mascot thing from like the Nintendo World or Nintendo Land or whatever it is in Japan. I want that type of Toad cosplay. <laughs> not like me, not me being me, but like a straight up like mascot like costume I think would be a lot of fun. <laughs> but anyway... Let's get on to this episode's topic of the show, where we're going to be talking about Corpse Party. So, the first game we're going to be talking about is Corpse Party Blood Covered Repeated Fear, and I'm going to be specifically talking about the 3DS version, because that is the one that I played, but most of this is also applied to the other versions on Steam or PSP, and the one that is coming up on the 20th. Um, just some slight variations in there, but mostly the same. So, uh, this is actually a remake of the first game. In the series. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Corpse Party is actually very old. <laughs> um, the game was originally, it originally came out, I believe, in 1998, or it was made then. Um, I can't remember the exact things of that, but it was actually an entry for a contest, and I don't think that won, <laughs> but um, it was made with RPG Maker, and it is a lot different than the version that we know now. So you can actually find videos of the original version on YouTube. Um, you can actually download, it's called Corpse Party 1998 Rebuilt. Um, I played a bit of it. I didn't do entirely. It's very different than uh, the game that most of us are familiar with. Um, there are a lot of characters that aren't in it. There's a lot of story that isn't in it. It's a lot more basic, but you know, that is that is the roots of Corpse Party. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the 3DS version, because that is the version that more people are familiar with. It has voice acting, all that, all that stuff. Um, I do also want to throw out that the current Steam version, don't pick that up, just wait for the 20th. <laughs> um, the current Steam version actually is not as completely different art, like uh, sprite art, than um, the 3DS, the PSP, and the new version that's about to come out. And I think it has less voice acting. I don't think there's as much story stuff. So don't even look into that. Just wait to the 20th if you need a PC to play it. Um, <laughs> just, just don't do it. Um, but, you know, like I said, the Definitive Edition is coming out on October 20th, and that's the version that I recommend you all play. So, Corpse Party is about a group of teenagers that get transported to a haunted elementary school called Heavenly Host Elementary when they fail at completing the Sachiko Ever After charm properly. In this school, there are a lot of corpses, <laughs> some ghosts, and chaos ensues. So, like I said, this is an RPG Maker uh, style game. So... Um, there isn't combat. You are just exploring this school. 
at length in interacting with, you know, objects and figuring out some puzzles. It is a lot of fun <laughs> and also kind of scary. Um, but like I said in the 999 episode, actually, um, Corpus Party has a really good atmosphere. And that's one of my favorite things about this game. So all games in the Corpus Party series, at least the versions that I have played, all have 3D audio, which is very cool. And it, I feel like it makes the experience so much better when you're playing those games with headphones. Um, a, an experience that stands out to me all the time. I can't remember if this was in the original Corpse Party or Book of Shadows. I feel like they did this in all the games. But, like, you'll walk by, like, a bucket and it'll have, like, I don't know, really disgusting things in it. And you can't tell because it's, you know, very kind of basic graphics. But you'll, like, walk by a bucket and there will be, like, flies, like, flying around it. And you'll hear, like, the buzzing in the 3D audio. So it sounds like the flies, like, in one ear and then, you know, in the next. Like, it's just kind of going around your head. And I remember... <laughs> I remember playing the game, like, my head would be, like, twitching because I hated it so much. But, like, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. Um, but stuff like that, or, like, I think a lot of this was in Book of Shadows. But, anyway, all the games have 3D audio. And so there are times where, you know, you're hearing things in different ears or, you know, it sounds like sound is traveling a certain way. It's just, it's really cool. So if you are going to play the Course Party games, play them with headphones if you can because it is really cool. Um, but the soundtrack in this game is also really good. I really love it. I listen to it all the time. Um, it is scary, but also, like, kind of, like, groovy. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's a really good soundtrack. I really recommend. Um, my favorite song in, uh, the game is Underground Maze, which actually, um, in the Steam version of the game, I think there's a different song that plays in that area, and that, that version is also really good. <laughs> so, um, if you're gonna listen to any songs, I'd recommend Underground Maze. It's not, like, the scariest, but it's, like, it's really cool. Really recommend checking it out. <laughs> and also, uh, the sound effects, like I said, are really good. Like, the flies, it's horror, but it's good, but it's terrifying. Um, and the voice acting. The voice acting is really great. Throughout the entire series, the voice acting in this game is phenomenal. And it, it is not in English. There is no English voice acting. It does all Japanese, but it sounds so good. It is like very raw. You know, these characters are in this really shitty situation being transported to this really shitty haunted school where there's corpses all over the place. And it is like genuinely terrifying. Um, and they really sound like they are terrified. Like, some of, like, the screams and the hollering. And just it, really, really good voice acting. And honestly, I'm glad that it doesn't have English voice acting. Because I don't want to say I feel like it won't be as good. But, like, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I don't think it would be as good. Um, the Japanese voice acting is just so good. Um, I, like, I really, I have to kind of let you guys know that because that is I think the best thing about the Corpus Party series in general um I think is sort of the sound design and the audio of it so the music the voice acting the sound effects the 3d audio they all come together and it is it is spectacular and that goes for every game in the series that I've played so yeah <laughs> um another thing that I think really adds to you know this atmosphere that Corpus Party has going for it is, you know, as you're exploring the school, you're trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do, you run into a lot of these corpses. That's why it's called Corpse Party. Um, and if you, like, examine them, you'll often get, like, a name tag, and it'll be, it'll show their name, and, like, what grade or what school they went to. Um, 
or they'll have like a note that they left behind. And these notes that you will find either around the school or attached to corpses can get really messed up, um, really disturbing. I think it's one of the most disturbing things in the game, actually. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but also like, you know, you'll examine something and it'll be this note and it'll be like, you know, I can't go on any longer. Like, there's no water. There's no food here. Like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, it's notes like that or, you know, even more disturbing. Um, but it, it adds to that atmosphere. <laughs> um, I, I really, really like the game. And you're also going to get a lot of lore by examining things, which is required. The, the uh, examining a lot of the corpses isn't required. You just get like name tags and additional information, but some of the stuff that you will have to examine is mandatory and it adds a lot of lore to the game. And the story in this game is really great. That is the main appeal to me in this game. Um, I think the premise obviously is very interesting. These kids do this charm, it goes wrong. They get transported to this hellish elementary school um, they're seeing ghosts, they're seeing corpses, it's hopeless, they can't get out. Um, I think that, you know, by itself is a really good premise, but, um, the story itself, when you get to know the backstory of Heavenly Host and why these ghosts are here and just a lot of shit that happens, um, this game is really good. It has a really good story. It, it really blew my mind. Like, I don't know if I was expecting it to have the story that it did if that makes sense so really really good <laughs> so let's talk about spoilers for corpse party the first game um go away if you don't want to be spoiled for it play the game when it comes out on the 20th then come back and listen to this <laughs> so let's talk about some spoilers so i kind of want to talk about the characters first of all because i feel like that is a good jumping off point um so psycho i really like her um she uh, she dies. <laughs> She's the first one to die, I believe. Um, she dies by hanging, and I, she's one of those characters that you feel really bad for, because she is, like, probably the most upbeat of all the characters. She is trying to make the best of this situation, and, and she's also gay. Um, they don't really, it is implied in the first game, but they don't really make a canon until Book of Shadows, um, but it's very heavily implied that she has a crush on Naomi. And, you know, we do find this out in Book of Shadows. But it's like, of course the gay would die. <laughs> of course she's the first to go. Because we can't be happy. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Sad about Psycho. So, another character I want to touch on is Morishige. Morishige is... I feel like he himself adds to the atmosphere. Kind of like how I was talking about how Clover adds to the atmosphere of 999. I feel like Morishige adds to the atmosphere of Corpse Party because he is just off the rails. He is unhinged. Um, I can't remember when we first see him and what's kind of going on there, but, like, he's taking pictures of Mayu's dead body. He doesn't know it's Mayu's dead body. <laughs> um, but he's just like, oh, this corpse is, like, so beautiful. And at first you kind of think he's taking pictures because, uh, you know, if, you know, they get out, they want to show people, they want to, you know, be like, this is what happened. Um, that's kind of the idea. But then you find out, like, he's just, he's just into the dead bodies. I don't know. It's really weird. <laughs> um, and, like, it almost feels like that's how he's trying to cope with the situation, with this very unrealistic situation. He's just, like, losing his mind, which, obviously. <laughs> um, but he's a character that makes you, like, very uncomfortable. And, like I said, that's kind of the atmosphere this game is going for, is uncomfortable. And, it, yeah. And, uh... 
one thing that irritates me about this game is that you don't, like, solidly know how Morishige dies. Um, you just know that he dies. <laughs> um, so I can't remember exactly what happens, but I think, um, he sort of finds out through his phone that Mayu is the dead body that he was, like, taking pictures of and, like, looking at all the time. And so when he finds out that Mayu dies, he gets really upset. And it it's almost implied that, like, he fell down the stairs or something, but I'm like, I don't think he died from that, right? And he doesn't. We find that in a later game. But, um, it... it and yeah, I think Morishige, you know, not knowing how he died upset me for a very long time. <laughs> um... But he is, he's an interesting character. I'll give him that. Is he my favorite character? No, but I think he is definitely adding, adding to the game. <laughs> um, Mayu, you know, unfortunately she is one of the first ones to die. Um, the kids, they just like throw her into a wall and she explodes. <laughs> and then like anytime you walk by that area in the game, you'll just, you'll see like, just her insides are right there. Um, but you don't know it's her. Like, how are you going to know that it's her? There's, like, nothing identifiable. Um, but she was, like, so cute. And I felt kind of bad for her. But, I mean, I guess we're in hell. Someone has to die. Um, as for some of the other characters, Ayumi, Satoshi, and Naomi. I just thought that they're all right. I don't have much to say about them. Um, Ayumi is a bit more interesting. But I feel like she doesn't really get more interesting until Book of Shadows and Blood Drive. So, yeah. Uh, that's all I really have to say with them. Um, Yoshiki! Yoshiki is my favorite character in this series, for sure. I really love him. He is... It's a bit of a bad boy. Um, he's played off as being, like, kind of dumb. Um, but he has a heart of gold, you know? And that's, like, a really good trope. That's one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> and he really cares about Ayumi as well. Um, you know, I believe it is them when they get out of the school from... What's her name? Yuki? Yuri? No, Yuki. It's Yuki. I have it in my notes somewhere, but I haven't gotten there yet. Um, but one of the ghost children gets them out, and, um, oh yeah, and Ayumi is like, we have to go back in to, like, save our friends and, you know, save these kids, and Yoshiki's like, um, are you sure about that? Like, Yoshiki is the voice of reason, because if it were me, I wouldn't be going back in. Like, I'm sorry, y'all are dead. I'm not, I'm not risking my life for this. Um, but Yoshiki's really great. I love him. He's also a character that shines a bit more in Blood Drive. Um, Miss Yui is there. Um, I, I don't have much to say about her either. <laughs> At least not in this game. As, okay. Okay. Here we go. Here is where my notes start getting a bit more specific. Um, I hate Yuka. I hate her so much. She is... Okay. I don't think I can proper... Okay. So I love this game, right? But Yuka, single-handedly, I feel like ruins half of it. Um... She is, she is Satoshi's younger sister. She is 14. She is 14, she is canonly 14 years old and she speaks like a toddler. It is so disturbing. Um, and the, the worst part, like, okay, here's an example. <laughs> and, you know, if you play the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, like, when you're playing the game, you would think that she is, like, 8 years old. And even then you're like, she's too old to be saying this shit. <laughs> But then you go on the weekends, like, oh, she's 14. Anyway, she speaks like a toddler. She's like, big bro, I gotta pee. And it's just like, do you, do you have to ask permission? I, 
in my notes here, I just have the writers clearly had some sort of like incest, big bro, little sis, and piss kink, and I hate it. It is the it is literally the worst part of this entire series, and it continues throughout the entire series as well. I have to put that out there. Um, there's a lot of uncomfortable things in the series that are not just horror. Like to me, this is more uncomfortable <laughs> than watching you know really horrific shit that actually happens. Um, it's just Ugh, it, ugh, like gives me heebie-jeebies <laughs> to think about and they also do this thing with psycho as well where she's like bathing i think like her younger brother and it, it's just really uncomfortable and that is the biggest issue i have with this entire series is you know not the actual disturbing shit like you know horror shit that they do that they try to make scary but the things that they try and pass off as like normal um it is very uncomfortable and i hate it <laughs> Uh, but as for more of the real plot, um, I really like the lore of Heavenly Host and Sachiko and the, mur and the murders that took place years ago. So, um, the most disturbing part in this game, for sure, other than the piss kink and the incest, um, is definitely, I think it's the end of chapter four or the beginning of chapter five, I can't remember. Um, but where, uh, Yuki shows you, through her eyes, um, what happened in the basement of Heavenly Host all those years ago. And you see, you know, at first you think this, you know, grown man is, like, killing these children, which in and of itself is terrible that these kids have been kidnapped and whatever. Um, but then you see Sachiko, and Sachiko is this other kid just going at them, and I don't, like, know how much I want to talk about it because it is very disturbing. Um, but it is... That was... Like, there aren't many parts in games where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but this, that was one of those moments where I was like, this is genuinely upsetting. Because, you know, when you're in Heavenly Host and it's about the ghosts and, you know, you're finding corpses all over the place, it is disturbing, it is scary, but when you're seeing something where it's like, just kids, just kids getting murdered, <laughs> it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable, this is very, like, this is actually upsetting, um... So, yeah, that, but it's really good, like, it's really well done, like, I remember the song that plays during that part, and it's very good, it is, you know, I like it, but it is very upsetting. <laughs> so then, at the end of the game, um, Sachiko is sort of, they sort of appease her, they appease the other ghosts as well, but it is more of a temporary thing for them, um, but she is sort of appeased, and we see this cutscene where, like, you know, Sachiko's red dress turns to a white dress, but then I think we also see, like, Yuki get, like, a red dress. It, it's, there's something along those lines where it implies that, like, even though Sachiko has been appeased, these other kids are still here. Heavenly Host is going to continue, but now it's, like, Yuki is sort of taking it over. That's how I took it. That's how I took the ending. Um, so they actually are able to get back to the real wor world, the kids that are surviving. Um, they have to do the Sachiko Ever After Charm correctly this time to get out. Um, but when they get back, they realize that all of their friends that died, no one remembers them. So Psycho, Mayu, Morishige, who's the other one? There's another one, right? Miss Yui. <laughs> they realize that no one remembers them. It's like their entire existence has been wiped. So not a, not a great ending. It's very bittersweet. It's like we escaped, but there's still no good ending to this. Um, there are, there are also many bad endings in this game. Um, I did get a few, not on purpose. 
Um, and also extra chapters, but like I said, I didn't get to a lot of that, so that's what I am going to be doing when the remaster comes out, which I'm very excited about. Um, so yeah. So let's talk about Book of Shadows. So I know a lot of people have played the original uh, Corpse Party, like it's the remaster, but anyway, I know a lot of people also have not played Book of Shadows and Blood Drive. Um, they're not nearly as iconic as the first game, but I do really want to talk about them because I like the series <laughs> and I need to get this off my chest. So Book of Shadows is really interesting. So Book of Shadows is a visual novel, which obviously the first game is not. Um, and the story is told in a non-linear way. So there are chapters and the chapters are very much separate from each other. And the game is sort of a prequel, midquel, sequel, all in one. And so some chapters take place sort of during the events of the first game. Some of them take place before, some of them take place after. Um, and they're not all in the same timeline either. So a lot of these will be bad endings. A lot of them are, um, it's just a mess, <laughs> but it's a fun mess. Um, I really like Book of Shadows, but, um, I understand why people would not. <laughs> um, so the majority in sort of the beginning of Book of Shadows takes place after a bad ending of the first game. So there is one bad ending in the first game where if you don't do certain things right, um, th like they get out. Um, but then like Satoshi wakes up. And it's the day where they did the charm, but he's the only person that remembers. And so, um, they go back to heaven, not to heavenly house. They go back to their school, Kisaragi Academy, and they're in the classroom. And Satoshi's like, hey guys, I have a really bad feeling about this charm that we're about to do. Like, you have to trust me. We cannot do this. And they don't listen to him. They're like, you're, you're just like being dramatic, Satoshi. And so instead of, you know, I don't know really making it so that they cannot go to Heavenly Host. He's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back in so I can save them or whatever. And it's like, bro. <laughs> so that's the beginning of what this story has going on. We are in an, an alternate timeline, essentially. A time loop, if you will. Uh, the one thing I really like about Book of Shadows, actually, is that we get a lot of character development. Because it is a visual novel, um, a lot of the characters that you don't see much in the first game and that aren't really well developed in the first game, you see a lot more of them. And so this is where I start getting attached to the characters. <laughs> um, so a lot of the characters that die have, uh, chapters that are specifically dedicated to them. So like Mayu and Morishige, um, you get to learn a lot more about them. You get to see things from their perspective, even though it is different. It is not what happened in the first game, but it's very similar to what happens in the first game. It's very, very interesting. You get to know them. It's pretty cool. Um, so I'm going to talk about spoilers now, and I am just going to take this chapter by chapter. Um, so bear with me. <laughs> um, so chapter one starts off with, I believe it's before, it's like a day before they go to Heavenly Host. Um, and it's just Psycho and Naomi. They're having like a sleepover. It's fun. It's whatever. But, you know, obviously shit really starts to get real once they get transported yet again to Heavenly Host. And actually, I, actually, never mind. I believe it is bef it was when they're at the sleepover, actually. Like, they're just laying in bed together. Kind of sapphic. Um, but Naomi's, like, looking at Psycho, and she's like, Psycho seems to have this weird sort of mark around her neck. Um, and, and it almost looks like a scar or a bruise. It's very, um, it's interesting. <laughs> and she's like, huh, I don't think she had this before. And so when they get transported to Heavenly Host... We, we learn that that mark is, you know, what happened in the first game. She, she was hung. She was hung with the noose. And so that is sort of showing how she is going to die, essentially. Um, 
so that is a lot of what happens in this game. This is essentially the same outcome as the first game, but it happens in a different way. And so once Naomi and Psycho get to Heavenly Host, Naomi starts to like slowly remember what happened in the first game. Um, and so when Psycho is hanging from the noose, she's like, oh shit, like I can save her this time. And so she actually is able to get her down from the noose. But then what happens is Psycho, I believe she kind of like goes crazy and she just like falls down the stairs and then like her head just chops right off. Um, so we really kind of figure out in the first chapter very quickly, well not very quickly, it's like at the end of the chapter, but very quickly in the grand scheme of the game that um, you can't save anyone because, you know, when I went into this, I thought, you know, this is kind of like a do-over, so maybe everyone will be able to live this time. But no, <laughs> it's Heavenly Host, so everyone's going to die again. It's just going to be worse this time around, essentially, and they have these scars um, to show how they're going to die again. So that's, that's fun. <laughs> that's really what the first chapter is about. So then we get to chapter two, which is all about Mayu. This is from her perspective, which I really liked. I like seeing more of her. She's a cute character. Um, so Mayu also has, you know, the this sort of scar on her from what happened in the first game. And because of the nature of how Mayu dies, where she just kind of like explodes, um, it starts like on her stomach and sort of extends outwards. And I can't remember if it starts getting bigger throughout the game as it gets closer to her dying. Um, I think it might, but she is, like, very self-conscious of this, <laughs> and, like, rightfully so. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> uh, she dies in a worse way as well. So, like I said, in the first game, the kids just throw her, whereas in this game, uh, the kids just, like, play with her insides, which, yeah, kind of upsetting. <laughs> um, but then we get to chapter three, and chapter three is very different but it's one of my favorite chapters in the game. It might be my favorite chapter in the game. Um, so chapter three is actually a flashback. So um, Satoshi goes to Miss Yui's house and she's just like asleep or whatever. The, the sort of premise isn't that interesting. But we get to see a flashback of Miss Yui when she was a teenager at Kisaragi Academy. And what is very interesting here is um, I believe she like runs into someone on the street and they're, like, warning her, like, don't go to Heavenly Host Elementary or some shit. And she's like, what the hell is this? Um, I can't remember exactly what that sort of comes out to. But anyway, that night, she forgets something at school. So she has to go back to Kisaragi Academy in the nighttime. And we learned in the first game that there is this rumor um, about how if you go to the school late at night, you might hear, uh, like, footsteps in on the stairs or something. Or, like, a holler at the stairs. I can't remember exactly what it is, but we learn in the first corpse right towards the end of the game that it is um, Sachiko's mother, who I believe is Yoshi. Um, and she was, like, pushed down the stairs or something by the principal, and so she died there. Um, and so she is the one that is haunting uh, Kisaragi Academy. But we, we never sort of figure out in the first game, like, how much truth there is to that. But anyway, Miss Yui has to go into the school, and she gets locked in her classroom. And this... You know how I was talking with 3D audio earlier? <laughs> um, if you played this with headphones, this really freaked me out. Um, so Miss Yui is, like, hiding somewhere. I can't remember. But she hears, like, running. <laughs> like, running footsteps in the classroom or, like, outside the classroom. I can't remember exactly. But I remember just, like, sitting there and being like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> like, I, also recently I was playing um, Eeb. 
uh, RPG Maker Horror game, which I said I wasn't going to talk about, but here we are. Um, I recently played Eve, and there's a part really early on in that where it's not running footsteps, but it's just, like, you know, walking footsteps. And that even that freaked me out. So, for some reason, that is, like, what gets to me in horror games. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so um, the ghost is out to get her, I guess. And there's this weird thing. I, it's been a while since I played Book of Shadows, so it is kind of difficult to remember. Um, but, like, she's in Kisaragi Academy, but then it, it looks like she's in Heavenly Host. It's like she temporarily transports to Heavenly Host or something, but she doesn't do the charm. So, uh, this is what I like about uh, Chapter 3, is that we learn more about sort of the lore of all this. Like, you don't have to do the Sachiko Ever After Charm to transport to Heavenly Host or to be affected by this curse of Heavenly Host. Um, and this freaked me out. <laughs> um, I feel like it freaked me out because, you know, I feel like, you know, I know I'm not going to be transported to Heavenly Host Elementary. Like, I'm I'm aware of that. But I feel like, I don't want to say it feels more realistic because that also sounds kind of dumb. But it's like, what if you were, like, trapped in a school at night and then you start hearing these, like, running footsteps and, like, you were... I don't know, you start getting chased by, like, a ghost or some shit. Like, I don't want to say it sounds more realistic, but it is more realistic than being, like, physically transported to another dimension school. That's all I'm going to say. So it freaked me out a bit more. <laughs> uh, Miss Yui is able to escape, obviously, because she is in the first game. Um, but yeah, it, it was very interesting. And I also liked, uh, she has, like, a love interest. He was kind of cool, too. I don't remember his name. But, um, good game good chapter I really liked it so now we get to chapter four and this is another one that I really like because it adds the lore outside of just heavenly host and uh tells you what happened before the first game and so in the first game there's this character Naho and um I didn't really talk about her much I can't remember <laughs> I can't remember her relevance to the plot that much I just know that she's ghost so in Book of Shadows um there's this part uh it's sort of in the middle of the chapter where Naho is doing this radio interview with her friend Sayaka and they're talking about uh, like spirits and shit. And so I think, I don't know if she directly talks about how she's investigating Heavenly Host right now, but um, she's, that's what she's doing right now. And so as they're recording this, Naho like sees like, like a ghost Sachiko and obviously no one else can see this because Naho is, I guess, like a medium. Um, so... And Naho sees Sachiko just, like, fucking around <laughs> in the studio. And then I think it's as they finish recording, uh, one of the people, like, one of the sort of DJ people there, producers, I don't know, like, dies. I can't remember exactly what happens, but it's, it's a shit show. And, but, um, you know, we see how Naho got to Heavenly Host in the first place. We see that our friend Saika also went to Heavenly Host with her. Um, and I felt really bad for Sayaka. <laughs> Like, she just sort of got dragged into this by Naho, and, um, it's really, that was the kind of sad part of this chapter, because Sayaka is, how she dies is, you know, really disturbing. Um, she is trapped in the basement area of the school, that is where she sort of ends up, and that is obviously one of the worst areas to be in if you played the first game, you know, and it's, it's very upsetting. Very upsetting. <laughs> So then we get to chapter five, and chapter five falls more Shige, which I think is very interesting. Um, we still don't find out how he dies, but we do see that he is sort of being affected by the darkening. And I don't think they actually say the words, the darkening, in the first game, but you kind of learn about it in the second game. 
um, is basically just like the longer you've been there, the more corpses that you investigate, um, the more uh, you succumb to the darkening, which is basically like going crazy, I guess. I don't know exactly how they do that, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, all I remember from this one is that he sort of meets up with students from another school and he's an asshole about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we get to see more of more Shige just being more Shige. So there's that. <laughs> So chapter six is Yuka's chapter, and you can, you can uh, probably figure out how I felt about that. Um, I it didn't make me like Yuka anymore. Um, however, I do like this chapter. So Yuka, I can't remember exactly how she ends up getting there, but she ends up getting in the basement of the school. Um, and she runs into Sachiko, and Sachiko kind of like convinces her that you know she is this innocent little girl that, you know, she's looking for a big sister. And I think because Yuka is, you know, separated from her big brother, Satoshi's kind of like, okay, like, I'll take over the big sister role for this little girl. And, you know, Sachiko kind of plays nice with her for a while. But I remember there's one part where Sachiko, where I, I don't know if Sachiko brings it up or if Yuka brings it up, how Sachiko doesn't have any shoes on. Like, she has nothing on her feet. And Sachiko's like, oh, like, can I have your sneakers? And Yuka's like, uh, yeah, sure. But then Sachiko, when she takes Yuka's sneakers, takes her to a room where all over the floor is, like, nails and glass and shit like that. And I remember playing that and just being like, ooh, okay, Sachiko, I see you. <laughs> um, but yeah, she basically, Sachiko basically tortures her um, very slowly into um, doing things for her and just killing her. <laughs> Uh, it was kind of satisfying to see Yuka die. I know that sounds really bad, but I really do not like her character. Um, so that's the best part of this chapter. And I was like, ooh, is she gonna, like, stay dead? Because that would make me really happy. But no, she she does live in, like, the sort of more canon, you know, the end of the first game. And then once you get to Blood Drive, you see that she's still alive. I'm like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> um, and yeah, I also have my notes here. They brought back the piss thing. Um, I just, I hate it here. I really hate it here. That literally the worst part of this entire series is piss. Um, so chapter seven follows students that weren't in the original. Well, they kind of were in the original, but they weren't in the main cast. They're from a different school. Um, and I don't remember much from this chapter. I think just because it didn't stand out to me as much. Um, but Kizume is there and he was in the first game. And uh, all I remember is the reason why this chapter is called Tooth, but I also don't remember. I, I just remember there's this one picture of Kizume with, like, holding a tooth or some shit, and I don't remember whose fucking tooth it is, so. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> so, chapter eight. Chapter eight is where you get into sequel territory. So this is the setup for Blood Drive. And so what we see is Ayumi feels really bad about what happened. You know, she was the one that was like, hey, let's do this charm. Let's do Sachiko Ever After Charm so that we'll be friends forever. And clearly it goes wrong uh, because of her. You know, so many people have died. Um, and we also see that Naomi isn't coping well with this either because no one remembers Psycho. She's the only one that remembers her. She feels like she's going crazy. Everyone is making her feel like she's crazy and it is she's not doing good <laughs> so Naomi and Ayumi get together and they decide to seek answers and I can't remember exactly how they end up doing this but they end up getting to like Sachiko's childhood home or like some sort of area that is related to Sachiko and Yoshi and just the Shinozaki family and like I said I don't remember a lot of stuff that happens here but they find the book of shadows 
and um, Ayumi believes will help resurrect their friends who died in Heavenly House Elementary using this Book of Shadows. Um, there is, you know, these sort of forbidden spells that she can use. Um, and it goes about as well as you would expect it to go. Yeah, they try to resurrect. I think the first one they try to resurrect is Mayu. And it, it yeah, it, it goes as well as you would expect it to go. Um, she sort of comes back, but I believe she's, like, screaming and crying. And, like, her face is sort of, like, blacked out. It looks really strange. Um, and yeah, I think she dies pretty quickly after that. She just kind of dies again. It is... <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and then, basically, the spell kind of backfires on them, and somehow blades start to, like, try and kill them. I don't really understand how this works. I don't understand where the blades are coming from, but somehow blades appeared, and they tried to kill them, but then Ayumi's sister appears just in the nick of time, and, uh, she dies instead. Instead of Ayumi, so... A lot, a lot going on, but it does set up an interesting premise, I think, for Blood Drive. So, let's talk about Blood Drive. Oh, Blood Drive. So, I'm gonna be honest with y'all, this is a bad game. <laughs> and I, I genuinely, like, I don't say that games are bad a lot of the time. I'll say that it's not for me. I'll say that, you know, there are some mechanics that I don't like. There are some things I don't like about it. Um, but I rarely call the game a bad game. I usually feel like it's just not for me. But I think this is a bad game. Um, the gameplay is atrocious. So, um, <laughs> it is more, it's not a visual novel. Obviously, there's gameplay. Um, but it is not an RPG maker game. Although it is structured it's pretty similarly to the first game. But there's a lot more chasing. And this is where it falls apart. Um, ghosts will like chase you everywhere and it's not enjoyable at all it, it just, it's really annoying and like unnecessarily punishing is how I feel about blood drive there's just they're always fucking chasing you and you run out of stamina so quick that is something that you don't at least I have not to worry about with the RPG maker games that I have played so far same with like the original course party you don't like run out of stamina but they added that to blood drive and so you'll be trying to escape from ghosts and then you're like Ayumi will just like stop like grow the fuck up <laughs> um it is it, I really feel like it's a bad game and like you know if if the game no maybe we can forgive the bad gameplay if there's a good story but the story isn't good it's an absolute shit show and so I'm just gonna go right into spoiler territory with this one I do not recommend playing blood drive unless you're a huge fan of corpse party like myself um if you're just like casually a corpse party fan don't play blood drive <laughs> Um, if you're really interested, look up story summary, but don't actually play the game. <laughs> it's bad. So, yeah. Let's get into the spoilers, shall we? So. Yeah. You know, here's the thing, actually. The story has promise. When I first started the game, I was very intrigued. You know, we sort of see Ayumi in the hospital recovering after what happened, um, at the end of Book of Shadows. And it starts off interesting. Um... We meet this character named Aiko, who is also kind of like a spirit medium person. Um, and she shows this picture to Ayumi that uh, was taken in Heavenly Host. Uh, there's a lot of sort of sci-fi stuff that happens here. Somehow she got a picture in Heavenly Host and she takes it back 
shows it to Ayumi, and she's like, this is uh, one of the kids. It's Yuki, actually, from the first game. She's holding the Book of Shadows. Because I think that's, yeah, that's the premise of this. Ayumi wants to get the Book of Shadows back because she wants to try again. She wants to revive the friends again. Because that makes sense, right? It went so well the last time. And so Ayumi is unconvinced to go back into Heavenly Host <sighs> to get the Book of Shadows and try and bring her friends back. Because I think they have this theory now that, you know, you have to be in Heavenly Host for it to work, or there has to be some sort of condition that wasn't met last time. It's a fucking mess. So, you know, this is, it is implied, like I said, at the end of the first game, that Yuki is sort of taking over as a new Sachiko for Heavenly Host, if that makes sense. Um, and so there is a direction. That was what I expected this game to be like, and I was excited for that. I thought that was very interesting. But they just sort of throw that. <laughs> they throw away what could have been interesting and everything turns into an absolute shit show. So yeah, I have my notes here. Ayumi is also incredibly annoying. <laughs> um, she's just like, I'm going to risk everyone's lives again. Oh, God. Yoshiki is really good. Yoshi okay, so they have these stones. I can't remember what they're called. They have these stones to get back into Emily Host. Um, I don't know how that makes sense. Just fucking... Everything goes a lot more anime. Obviously, the first two games are also anime, but once you get to Blood Drive, it's like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm watching anymore. And I talked about this in another episode, I believe, but how the first two games feel kind of grounded, whereas Blood Drive, it's like, it's like just like taking a truck off a cliff or something. It is, oh my god. <laughs> oh, they just, it's like, how can we ruin this? <laughs> How can we ruin this series and they do it? Like, it's not good. Okay, here's another thing I have in my notes here. Sorry for how kind of messed up the structure of the podcast is. Um, I'm just going off of my notes here. Because um, like I said, I haven't played these games in a while, but I do have a lot to say about them. Um, but I'm also like trying to remember what happened. So apologies for the mess of this sort of episode. But, um, you know, if you really like Corpse Party, you're probably enjoying just listening to someone else talk about it. Um, because there's not much Corpse Party content out there, so this is for you, Corpse Party fans. <laughs> Sorry, it's not the most structured, although I might do something more structured in the future. Um, you know, maybe do a video or something, but for now, this is, this is the mess we're dealing with. Um, so there's a new character, Miss Kuan, I can't remember how to call on, um, and I hate her. She is a teacher who, she looks like she's, like, in her 20s, but it's also kind of, like, I don't think, no, I, I was gonna say it's implied that she's a lot older, but I don't actually think it is. I think she's just, like, frail or something. Um, but she's, like, very rich, very perfect, very smart. She has this perfect life, very, you know, that sort of anime cliche that I personally don't really like. And for some reason, okay, so she's a new teacher at uh, Kisaragi Academy or something. And for some ungodly reason, this, like, 20-something teacher has a crush on Satoshi, who, at this point, I'm gonna guess, like, 16, maybe 15, probably 16, um, but, like, they're in high school, and this teacher has a crush on him, and I'm just like, girl, he is not that attractive. Like, I, 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 <laughs> you see the loss of words that I am at here? This is one of those, like, uncomfortable corpse party things I really don't like, you know, sort of how I talked about sort of incest and piss earlier. Um, this is another one, and she, like, it, it's one thing if it would just be implied, right? That's uncomfortable enough. But I believe there's a scene where she, like, confesses her feelings to him. And I'm just like, what the hell? 
oh, it is so bad. Um, and don't tell me it's just like a Japanese thing because I play a lot of Japanese games. <laughs> I play a lot of Japanese games and Corpse Party just stands out in so many ways where, you know, even Persona 5, when they do the thing where you can romance your teacher, it doesn't feel nearly as bad as this does, <laughs> in my opinion. Anyway, so we also have some other new characters. Uh, so, Magari Mizuki, I can't remember what name they call her in the game, but those are her two names. Um, she's, like, a part of some cult, and she always has her boobs out, which is fine. But like I said earlier, it feels like Corpse Party before this was grounded in some sort of reality, but once you get to Blood Drive, it gets so much more anime. And not in a good way. Because getting more anime can be a good thing, you know? Uh, but it, not when it comes to Corpse Party. I fucking hate it. Um, so, uh, she carries around this, like, scythe. scythe I don't want to say that word. Um, it's just, uh, <laughs> just look up her character design and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and why she stands out. She'll be in, like, the middle of the street. With, like, the weirdest outfit. And, like, I get it. It's an anime game. But it's so bad, y'all. Ugh. And I don't like any of the new characters as well. You know, Aiko can get a pass. Because I don't know if she's actually mentioned in the earlier games. But her lore is just more sort of basic and grounded. She looks like a real character. Um, she's not a part of a cult. But um, there's another new character, uh, Misto. And I hate him, too. He's a villain, and he just wants to fuck shit up, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> this game it just ruins so much. So, here is one of my biggest issues with the game. Um, the main antagonist... Well, not maybe the main antagonist. She starts off as our main antagonist of the game. Is Sachiko's twin sister. Okay, we didn't know... We, we didn't know that Sachiko had a twin sister. But it gets worse. So, um, I can't remember the backstory, but I just put that she ate in the womb, essentially. Like, I don't know if y'all parents, like, told you, like, as a child, like, oh, yeah, you were a twin, but then, like, you ate the twin in the womb or some shit. You know, just, like, freak you out or something. Um, but I feel like that's essentially what they did here. And this sort of, like, I can't even remember the exact plot of it, because it's just such, like, no. <laughs> it's hard to even think about um, the way that they did this story, um, so they kind of explain it that, like, because she never fully developed in the womb, right, because she was, like, fetus or some shit, um, she's apparently worse than Sachiko because she can't think properly or is, like, more aggressive, like, they try and play out some, like, more animalistic, if you want to say that, um, like, it, uh, it's very, very weird. And they call her Sachi as well. She doesn't even, like, get her own name. They just call her Sachi. <laughs> and, you know, to me, she isn't more scary. Like, her character design is a, is a bit more freaky. Like, she just has, like, these hollow black eyes and, like, shorter black hair and, like, a black dress and, like, almost, like, really weird, like, fangs. Um... So just look a bit more scary, but, like, to me, Sachiko is ten times more scarier. Like, to me, I think A Book of Shadows and how Sachiko was able to manipulate Yuka so good and, you know, really trick her. And to me, that's a lot more scary than just this really, like, freaky child, like, chasing me and trying to kill me. Just, like, I don't know. I To me, it's less scary. Um, 
And it's genuinely, I think, one of the worst plot points I've ever seen in a game, if not the worst. <laughs> like, there were so many parts in this game where I was just playing and I'm like, what the hell? Because like I said, they had a direction they could have taken this. And you do see um, Yuki in the game, but very briefly, and then she's like, gone. Um, like, I think you just realize that she doesn't actually have the Book of Shadows. And then, like, that's it. You don't see her again. And then it's just all Sachi. And, oh my god, like... <sighs> It's the most, like, sometimes you're playing a game, you're like, oh, they just pulled this out of their ass because they need to make another game. And this feels like the epitome of that, only though it didn't even have to be that way. Because they had Yuki, they could have done something with Yuki, but they were like, no, let's do something with Sachi. The aborted fetus or some shit. I don't, it hurts my head. <laughs> um, so some cult shit happens, the world goes to shit, so basically... Um, the Nirvana that is Heavenly Host is kind of, like, morphing into the real world, um, because Mitsuo fucks shit up. Um, Sachiko gets a redemption arc, which is kind of cool. Um, she kind of helps out Ayumi in some way, because they are part of the same bloodline, and, you know, she- Sachiko has been appeased. And so, I, I did like this, I do think that's cool. Um, I don't think it, like, devalues her character at all, because she is still a kid, you know, obviously she was an evil kid in the first two games, um, that, you know, but you still feel bad for her. And so, you know, I don't think that takes away from the first game or the second game in the way that, um, Sachiko, you know, can do good things. I think that that checks out. I had no problem with that. Um, so then Ayumi carves the Book of Shadows out of her stomach. I guess it's been there all along. Um, and then, <laughs> and then proceeds to eat the entire nirvana that Heavenly Host exists in. Um, I really, I'm at a loss for words right now. And that's just how I felt playing this entire game. And there's another part at the end, actually. There's this really weird sort of, like, boss battle. That's not even a boss battle. And I don't even know how to explain it, so I'm not going to attempt. But you see at the end, they almost, like, go back to, like, what looks like witch trials or something. And I don't even know what the hell they were attempting to do here with this story. But, like, this dead witch or something, like, kisses a Yumi? I don't know. This game is an absolute disaster and I would not recommend it to anyone. Like, unless you're a big Corpse Party fan like me and you want to know what happens. Oh my god. And, like, uh, I, I'm genuinely at a loss for words with how fucking questionable <laughs> this game is. And also that fucking circus music. So there's one part, and if you play the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, there's one part where uh, it is exactly what I said. Very loud circus music. Um, don't play with headphones. <laughs> it is so bad. Like, if you just look up Course Party Blood Drive, like, circus music, it is like, the most upsetting thing I think you'll ever hear. It's like, you know, when you're watching someone stream and they start yelling about something and the audio starts to peak? It's that, but, like, ten times worse, and it's circus music. So, that was fun. Um, the, the best thing that I will say about Blood Drive is that in one of the extra chapters, we learned how Morishige died. <laughs> I'm not even joking when I say that's my favorite part about this game, is that we learned how Morishige actually died. Um, yeah. And also, um, at the end of the game, uh, Ayumi eats the Nirvana or whatever. 
but then we see that because of what she did, I guess, um, the, obviously we aren't able to revive the other characters that have passed in the first game, but the memories of them have been restored, and that made me kind of emotional, I'm not gonna lie, I've become attached to these characters and this shit show, um, so that was good, I liked seeing, they do it in a way where it's like, there's a picture of them, and you see sort of the black on their faces start to, like, you start to actually see their face again, and, um, I really liked that, so, yeah, and also we find out how Morishige died, <laughs> so, yeah, the extra chapters in this game are actually more interesting than the actual game, um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on Corpse Party Blood Drive. It's bad. <laughs> but as for the other two Corpse Party games, I really love them. I think that they're fantastic. Um, so it's really sad that this sort of went to shit. Um, just very briefly, I will say that the Corpse Party Tortured Souls anime, I have mixed feelings on. Um, it is obviously not the best way to experience the story, but it is definitely one of the most accessible. You can watch it all on YouTube. Um... It doesn't tell the same story as the original Corpse Party. It's almost like another sort of timeline. Um, but, it, I mean, I have watched it. it is, it's not bad. Um, it is more sort of shock factor and horror. Not horror, but like, um, what was I going to say? Gory. That was the word I was looking for, gory. So there is that if you're interested in watching that. I think it's like four episodes. It's very short. Um, not the best way to experience it, but there is that, and it is, like, it's okay. Um, I haven't played Corpse Party 2 Dead Patient, the first episode of that, because that's the only thing that's out of that so far, but I, I will at some point. I thought about doing it, actually, very recently, but, um, I'm just gonna wait it out, <laughs> and then maybe it'll happen, I don't know, the rest of the game, because it's, like, $12 for the first episode, which I think is kind of ridiculous, but whatever. <laughs> But yeah, Corpse Party is, it's a time, it is a time and a half, especially if you get it all the way to Blood Drive, and everything just goes downhill. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Luna's Galaxy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it means a lot to me. I will be back on Tuesday, October 26th for the next episode, where we'll be discussing who knows what. If you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server, link in the description. You can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch, where I'm at Games. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye! Go play Corpse Party. Comes out October 20th. Okay, bye.